0: All right, beloved, we are in 1 Peter, so I would invite you to open your copy of God's Word to that section, looking specifically at verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, I would uh, encourage you to grab maybe the blue Bible that might be underneath your seat or around you, and turn in that Bible to page 1015. 1015. I don't think this clock is right. What time is it? No, it's not. (laughs) What time is it? 11? It is correct. Okay. Well, then I guess I'm going an hour over. All right. So in my uh, studies this week... Let me me just say this too, if you weren't here last week, I did a message on the verses just prior to this, uh, living beautifully before the world, and um, that's what the name of the sermon was, and uh, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, because really what's happening now is is the the passage that we're going to look at today and also the passages after that are flowing out of that section, really. It's really an expansion upon what it is to live beautifully before the world, to live in a way that is excellent and um, attractive as believers to this fallen world. And the world is watching. In fact, if I could go back, I'd change the title to living beautifully before a watching world. And that would probably be even more appropriate, that they're watching us and they're making judgments about us. And so we are called to live in such a way that that the gospel is appears as, as it really is, which is beautiful, and it makes beautiful impact on people's lives. So this week, as uh, Peter expands upon that, he's going to address first the issue of government. So in my studies this week, the titles that I came across for this particular section of God's Word were the following. Um, One title was The Duty of Submission to the State. Another title for these verses, 13 through 17, was a submission to civil authority. Another one, just as a chapter heading, was submission to government, submission to government. Now, you might have noticed that my title, if you've looked at it, for this text is nothing like those titles. My title is actually putting a muzzle on those who oppose Christianity. So why is that? Why did I appear to go so... Far off away from what maybe the text is uh, about. Well, not because I don't think those titles I just read are accurate or good, I do, but rather because what I want to do this morning with you is focus on the reason, the reason that Peter gives to Christians for submitting to the government or being subject to the state, which happens to be found in verse 15 of this section. And and is what I attempted to capture in my title. So verse 15 is my attempt at capturing that reason, uh, or my title is that is my attempt to capture the reason found in verse 15. And again, I'll tell you to refrain from making judgment about the title or thinking you know exactly what it means until we've kind of moved through the text. And also, I would uh, I want to tell you that If you tell someone to something, this has been my experience, and and even I've been instructed in this way. If you tell someone to something, it it can also be uh, quite helpful to give them a reason for what you have asked them to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? give them a reason for what you have asked them to do, more than the reason, like, because I said so. Right? Um, Like, your doctor might say, take this medicine, and you say, Why? And he says, because I said so. And so the impact of that is not that great, probably on you, because you said so. But if he says, so that you won't die, then his instruction or his command to you is much more significant, right? That you see the the weight of the command because you understand the reason behind the command. So in light of that, and just thinking about those things, I, I want to do that. I want to focus not so much on the command, but on the reason for the command, which is why I've given it, this particular text, the title that I have. We've dealt with the command before, which I'll mention again as we move through the text. We've dealt with it in Romans 13. You might remember, if you were here, extensively, four messages on the Christian and government. So I would encourage you to go back if you want to hear more about that and listen to that uh, sermon or sermons. And we'll, we'll review again the command, and Peter doesn't dive as deep into it because he's not looking to expand so much on the command, but he's really driving home this idea of living beautifully before the world. And he, he does give us a reason here for the command, and, and that reason is what I want you to really understand and get. I think it'll help you appreciate the command in a way that maybe you haven't before. Okay? Are you with me? Excellent. First Peter chapter two. Let's read the text thirteen through seventeen. The apostle Peter writes this Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay, so the command. We need to look at it. It's here. The command is in verse 14, and it's Rather straightforward, be subject to or submit yourself to every human institution. And by those words, we know Peter is thinking of the human institution of government and its various authorities that fall under that heading. Why do we know that? Because he immediately goes on to speak of the emperor, And the governor sent out by the emperor in order to govern the people. And the government, beloved, that Peter has in view when he wrote this letter is the one which he and his readers lived under. It wasn't a democracy. It was the Roman Empire. The government, by the way, was made up of, if you don't know about the Roman Empire at that time, Pagans, pagans, not worshipers of God in any sense, but worshipers of gods, false gods, idol worshipers. And the emperor at the time, the supreme ruler, was an evil and twisted individual named Nero. Named Nero. Maybe you you recall him from your studies, Bible studies or history studies but he was a worthless man. And yet, even under that government, Peter says to Christians to be subject, to be in submission. And by the way, note that Peter says every, every human institution. Okay, So one writer says this, every, put into contemporary terms, Modern-day terms means that Christians are to obey the law of the land, whether on a federal, state, or local level, from the Supreme Court to the traffic court, from income tax to parking regulations. You're welcome, Derek. He oversees that area of government, parking regulations. Believers are to be subject to duly constituted Authority. And, of course, here, duly constituted, he specifies, it's properly made up and formally correct and valid authority. So, in other words, if a group of folks come along to you and just say, you must do what we say, and they have not been duly constituted as the government or the authority, you don't have to obey them, okay? Um, but if they have been duly constituted, you are to obey, whether it be something as small as parking tickets or parking regulations or something as large as our federal laws or Supreme Court rules. Now and you know immediately people start thinking, And I mean, I, I know, especially right now, in election times and in the state of our government, that probably doesn't maybe it doesn't sit well with, with you. But I just want to take you back again and remind you, under what government was this instruction given? Nero. The Roman Empire. Pagans. And maybe we're not too far from that, but we are certainly not that at this time. Now you will notice that Peter doesn't address here any of the potential or real abuses or failures of human governments. Do human governments ever abuse their authority? Yeah, that's yes. Do they ever fail to live up to their high calling? You better believe it. And yet, Peter doesn't address any of that. Nor does he say what we should do when those abuses or failures occur. He doesn't say that here. So I'm not going to speak to it either, at least here, because the text doesn't say that. And by the way, what we might do would potentially vary with the form of government we live under and our rights under that government. It would vary, so you couldn't make a blanket statement. So for instance, in our government, we do have certain rights and means lawfully to address a government out of check, okay, or an abusive government, or a government that is failing on some level or in some area. We have means under the law to address those things, to attempt to change those things, to right the wrongs, right? But in other governments, they may have not as many rights or maybe different means in order to accomplish those things. So, like, you couldn't even make a blanket statement. It would depend. What can you lawfully do based on the government you're under when, you are, when the government misuses their authority? Okay, But Peter doesn't address it. But he simply states here the fundamental and dual purpose of human government. We have looked at this before when we were in Romans, and that is to punish those who do evil and praise or commend those who do good or right. Now, concerning the matter of punishing those who do evil, again, this is just, we're quickly reviewing the command and and the idea of government even, or to submit to it. To punish those who do evil, that, that indicates the restraint of evil as a major function of government. It's to restrain evil, folks. Now, one writer says this concerning that, Peter hardly intended to say that rulers always fulfill such a purpose. We know they don't. Okay? But even the most oppressive governments, however, hold evil in check to some extent preventing society from collapsing into complete anarchy. Even a communistic government, Russia, China, even tyrannical rule, to some degree, even oppressive governments function in this way to restrain evil and to prevent the society from just collapsing, falling in on itself because there are no rules, and people are doing whatever is right in their own eyes, which always leads to chaos there are there is no perfect government, there is no perfect form of government On earth, there is one coming, okay, let me just put a star next to that a little asterisk. There is one coming. The king of that government is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one coming. But right now, on the face of the planet, there is no perfect government. All forms of governments, as one writer says, from dictatorships to democracies, are filled to one degree or another with evil because they are led by fallen sinners. Hello. They're led by fallen sinners. So if we're expecting perfection, we are expecting something that is not going to happen, at least at this time in this world, until the righteous one returns and sets up his rule and reign and rules in righteousness. And that's why we, on it, that is why we long for that. And if you think we're going to make this government perfect, you need to think differently because that is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Now, we can influence it. We can have an impact on it for the good. But it will always have faults. It will always, on one level or another, fail. And it will even, and has, misuse its authority. Okay? But Peter doesn't address any of that. One writer says this, Christian uh, commentator, Government is a provision of God's mercy for fallen man. For the curbing of the worst excesses of man's sinfulness and the maintenance of a degree of order in a world disrupted by man's disobedience. Government at its core, the way I understand it and see it biblically, is not a curse. It is frustrated by the sin of man. But government in and of itself is not a curse, but it's a gift. It's actually a gift of God to fallen humanity. Not without its problems, but a gift. I, I would liken it in some ways to the family unit. You tell me, do you guys have a perfect family unit? Any of you? Anybody? Are you thankful for the family unit? I'm, I, it's a gift of God. It's a blessing. It is a foundation of our... Society. It makes society, beloved, possible. It gives it strength and stability. And of course, that's why Satan is constantly attacking it. Okay, But like that, the family unit can also be a mess. And you can have abusive fathers and mothers, and you can have people, parents failing to do what they're supposed to do, kids, children failing to do what they're supposed to do, your relatives, harshness, and all of that, and yet, I'll still take the family unit, even with all of that. Because it's a gift, it's a blessing to have it, even with the mess that it is. I I don't want a world, in other words, as we currently stand, or to live in a place where there is no form of government. And not only is the government's purpose to punish evil and thereby restrain it due to the fear of being punished, right? Okay? But government also helps maintain order in society by commending or praising good citizens. At least that's what Peter says. Now, commentators say that to the modern hearer or reader, that's us, we are not as familiar with governments praising those who do what is right. I, I think that's true. I think that's true. It's not as obvious to us. It doesn't mean it still doesn't happen to one degree or another that they might recognize good citizens or benefactors of a particular community or city. They, they, they do that, but probably not to the degree and awareness that it was occurring in the Roman Empire. Now, the Romans... One writer says, would erect statues, grant privileges, or commend in other ways those who helped the community. So the bottom line is governments are to maintain order and peace in society through punishment and praise. That's it. This isn't rocket science. Punishment and praise. Similar, by the way, to how a household with children functions. Yes? Yeah. You punish bad behavior, hopefully, to whatever that means, but you punish bad behavior to discourage that, and you reward good behavior to encourage that. And to some degree, this works to achieve some level of order and peace and prevents absolute anarchy and chaos within your home. Okay? It doesn't mean there's not moments of anarchy and chaos. It just means that it does not rule. Because you, you practice the same elements that the government is to do on a national scale, on a larger scale. You punish evil, don't do that. That's bad behavior. And, and, you, and you're going to be afraid of doing that because with that comes punishment of some sort. And I don't want you to just not do bad behavior. For the sake of our home, I want you to encourage you to do good behavior so I will praise that. I will commend that. I will recognize that. Even businesses do this. I mean, this is just basic um, principles to maintaining good order within a structure or society. Okay? And I would add this, that any government that as a rule, as a rule actually praises and promotes evil, because I'm sure some of you are thinking, but doesn't our government Um, doesn't it promote actually evil? Okay, in some instances, it does. Homosexual marriage, that's evil. Our Supreme Court is promoting evil. But does it do it as a rule? Does our government promote evil as a rule? And does it punish good as a rule? In other words, if it gets the two reversed. Now, does it sometimes punish good? Yes. But does it do it as a rule? I would argue, and I would suggest, as others have, that any government that does that as a rule, promotes evil and punishes good, will not last. They won't last because evil is destructive. That society will break down. So for its own self-preservation, governments must, to one degree or another, stop evil killing murder, theft, rape, and promote good within that society. Otherwise, the society will fall apart. Okay, And that is how God has designed it. Now, Peter doesn't deal with it here, but there are, are there any exceptions to our submission to the government? And I dealt with that issue before, and when we looked, as I said, at Romans 13, 1 through 7, but the answer is clearly yes, and I'm not going to develop it now. But as we look at the scriptures and we see the practice of even the saints and even Peter and Paul, the same ones that are telling us to submit to the government, and we see historically what they did, there were times, or even going back into ancient Israel, there are times when they disobeyed the government. So what are those times? Well, the answer is this. When the government tells us to do something that God has forbid when it tells us to do something that God has forbid or prevents us from doing something that God has commanded, then we must not submit. Then we must not. It's not even really a choice at that point. We We must not submit because God is the ultimate authority. All right? So that's the exception. One writer says it this way, for the Christian, the state is not the highest authority. And whenever a government demands that which conflicts with the dictates of the conscience enlightened by the Holy Spirit and the Word, then the Christian must obey the Word of God and suffer the results. However, under ordinary circumstances, which is most of the rest of the time, believers should actively support civil government in its promotion of law and order, as God has designed it. You with me so far? Now, skipping verse 15 for a moment, which is the reason for the command, let's just quickly look at verse 16. And then I'll come back to 15, and then I'll close with 17, okay? So there in verse 16, Peter says this, live as people who are free, Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There's a discussion among commentators exactly what Peter's getting at, but I think Peter's point here is simply this. While it is true, and I don't have time to develop this all either, but while it is true that believers are indeed free in Christ, they are free in Christ, This Christian freedom that they have is not to be used as a covering, literally the word means a veil or mask, for evil. And in the context, the evil would be not submitting to the governing authorities under ordinary circumstances. Rather, their freedom in Christ is given to them so that they might live for God as servants of God, and serving God in this context would include willingly subjecting oneself to the state or human government under which one lives. So, use your freedom in Christ, use it to live as a servant of God. How? by willingly subjecting yourself to every human institution, even pagan or godless governments, because that is what God wants you, Christian, to do. That is what he wants you to do. That is his will. But why? Why? Now, it is enough to say when God says to do something, and you ask why, it is enough to say because God said so. It is. It is. But with that comes even the understanding, though, there's something there before that of who God is. Well, God is almighty, all sovereign. God is all good, all wise, all righteous. God is love and mer- We understand the character of God, and so you don't need really anything else at that point. God has said it. That's enough for me. At least it should be. But Peter does provide a reason here. And I I want you just to think about this because I don't necessarily think we connect our submission to the government to this reason. Rather, we connect it to other things that are really much less significant. Let me explain. If I asked you why... Uh, do you submit to the government? You may say, well, because the scriptures indicate that I am to do that. But practically speaking, on a, on a, on a daily level, people more often are submitting to the government because they know that if they do, then things will go with, well with them personally. It's more about a personal thing. In other words, if I submit, then things will go well. And, and I, don't want, I want to avoid trouble with the authorities. So even though I don't like it, I'm going to submit to it. Or they might even be doing it because they'd like to get a pat on the back for being a, quote, good citizen. It's a very uh, self-focused kind of focused motivation or reason. So, for instance, I know some people don't speed because they don't want their insurance to go up. Because if you get a ticket, it goes up. Yeah it goes up a lot. If you get into an accident, it goes up a lot. Yes. So, their motivation is is more personal. Okay? I'll obey because I don't want the hassle of not obeying. Or, if I obey, then things will go better. And that is, by the way, that is true. There's some wisdom there. If you obey, things will go better with you. And you will avoid the difficulties of of feeling the wrath of the government that stands over us, okay? I don't like the law, okay, but is the law sinful? Is the law asking you to do something that God prevents you from doing? Or is it preventing you from doing something that God commands you to do? No, but I don't like it. Okay, but I'm going to do it because I don't want to hassle with them getting on me. That is not the right reason. It's a reason, but it's not a, it's not a great reason. There is a great reason to submit to the government. It's here. It's right here. So let's look at that, okay? First Peter 2,
1: 13
0: through 15. I'm going to start back in 13 so we can get the context of it. He says there, be subject for the Lord's sake. I'm going to come back to that because I haven't dealt with that term or that phrase, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Okay? Notice he doesn't say that by threatening... <laughs> Or by your uh, verbal outrage, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, no, by doing good, by doing good. Now, we'll come back to that. But first, verse 13, he says, for the Lord's sake, be subject to these governing authorities. That's what he's talking about. For the Lord's sake. That could be understood this way. It is concern for his cause. Concern for his cause. What would that be? about this concern for his church concern for the gospel of christ so concern for his cause you are to subject yourself so as not to for instance bring dishonor on his name or increase or increase persecution of his church by disobedience or unruly conduct now i'll get back to that in a second especially historically historically here in a moment when we talk about what was going on during that time. But the cause, the the thought, is bigger than you. It is connected to Christ, his church, his gospel. For why one would willingly subject themselves, even to an oppressive pagan government, why one would subject themselves to that government. Again, with the exception of them saying do something that God has said don't do or don't do this and God has commanded you to do that. There was always, that's always the exception. But verse 15 is the reason. And I think uh, 13 hints at it, but 15 is the reason. So verse 15, reason. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The word translated, Greek word, put to silence literally means to muzzle. That's what it means, to muzzle. You know, like a dog. You put a muzzle on a dog so that they theoretically, I guess, can't uh, bite. Or, But if if it's tight, they can't even open their their jaws. They can't make a noise. Hmm? So that's where, you'll start to see, this is where the title came from. It means to muzzle. Metaphorically, the verb means to stop the mouth so that the objector is unable to say anything further. Okay, By doing good, you should put to silence or muzzle the ignorance of foolish people. Now, the doing good, the doing good, that is not general doing good because verse 15 follows verse 13 and 14. So in the context, the the doing good that Peter has in mind is submission to human authorities. That's what he's talking about. The doing good is submission to human authorities. By doing good, by submitting to the human authorities, one will muzzle the mouth of those who oppose, in this context, Christianity who oppose the church who oppose the gospel now we'll, we'll look at this more but one writer says this the reason christians ought to submit is quite clear and basic such conduct stops the mouth of the gospel's critics it is the will of god for christians to engage in doing right by respecting authority so as to silence the ignorance of foolish people. These foolish people would be unbelievers, those uh, critiquing the church verbally. And one writer goes on concerning this text and adds this, the implication here is that the attacks thus far have been by word rather than deed, because you're muzzling them, you're silencing them. So these are verbal attacks. The enemies have their mouths open rather than their eyes. They're just spewing forth foolishness concerning the church, because they oppose Christianity. Such vicious verbal attacks are best answered not by indignant self-defense, what, how dare you, but by open well-doing. And in this case, that is submission to the state. Okay. Now, I'm going to connect all this here in a second, but I want to go back uh, to what I brought up last week when we were talking about living beautifully before the world. And I read you a section out of Titus. I want to do that again because I want to show you this is a recurring theme in the Scriptures. That is, there are reasons, giving reasons for how we are to live or why we are to live the way we are supposed to live. And those reasons being because there is a watching world and we want to have an impact on that watching world. Not a negative one, but a positive one. And we want to give the world no reason substantial reason, a legitimate reason for attacking the gospel or critiquing the gospel or the church. Okay, They might find illegitimate reasons, but we want to give them no legitimate reason. So I'll take you there to Titus. Titus. If you would flip over to Titus, if you're using one of those blue Bibles, you can find it in page 998. I'm going to read out of, uh, the again, the ESV, but the latest version. The blue ones are a little bit older version, so sometimes there's slight variations. But here, I'll read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2 to remind you of what I said last week, and then I'm going to look at chapter 3. So here it says, But as for you, the Apostle Paul, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Why? Because I said so. That the word of God may not be reviled, that is, criticized or insulted or spoken evil of. Okay? So in other words... If and they're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here we proclaim faith in this gospel, we proclaim faith in this word. We're followers of the word, follower of the Lord, and yet our behavior is vile. Then that re, then that opens up that word to criticism, to be reviled, to be attacked. But if our behavior is beautiful. Okay? Holy, righteous, wonderful, then they may attack us, but they can't do it based on our behavior. They can say what we believe is strange. They can say we are strange, but they cannot say that we are bad people in the sense of, look, these people are, they're loving, they're dignified, they're sober-minded, they're submissive, they're not slanderers, they're not drunkards. They have good family units. They're well-built. The wives are submitting to the husbands. The husbands are loving their wives. They have... Children that are under their their parents' supervision and control? What can we say? We can can say these things, but there's no ground for it. Okay? Then he goes on. Uh... Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? Because I told you so. No, so that an opponent may be put to shame. So there's, they're rattling off all their stuff. Oh, that Christianity, blah, 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 blah. Dude, have you seen what Christianity produces? I mean, what are you talking about exactly? Good conduct. And they're put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. They may not like it. But when they actually look at it and examine it and the world sees it, they say, I I don't know. You know, yeah, they may believe things we don't believe, but these people are decent people. They're not evil people. Then nine, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? Because I said so. No, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And last week I read you the NIV translation, which was they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now, that's what I said last week, but check this out. Just a few verses later, chapter 3. So it's still in that context, still speaking about these things. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them, the Christians, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Do you see it? To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. One writer says, commenting on that, that when Christians live like that in the midst of a pagan culture, it is a powerful testimony. On the other hand, when professing Christians disrespect authority or when they disobey the law, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of those who are prone to criticize Christianity. Now, historical, let's go back a little bit. During this time in history, Christians were said by some to be a threat to the state. A real threat to the state, to the emperor, to the Roman Empire. Uh, part of that is because Christianity was just linked in the minds of people with Judaism. Okay? They just thought Christianity was a subset of Judaism. And the Jews, they knew, hated having the Roman Empire rule over them. And they didn't like it, and there, were, there, were, uh, there was pushback against that, so they... It, linking those two together, they would see Christianity as being a subset of Judaism, then they're no doubt the same, and they don't want the Roman Empire ruling over them, and they look to overthrow us. That's part of it. Two, there, in that time and culture, there was emperor worship. They, they worshipped the emperor as a god. That was common. The Rome, Roman people did. But the Christians worshipped the one and only true God and would not bow down and worship to the emperor. All right. So again, all right, this, uh, these Christians, I don't know about them, they're potentially a threat to the kingdom, the king, the emperor. Beyond that, it, had, it was said that they did worship a king, which means they had another one. His name was Jesus. They talk about them being resurrected and stuff, died, resurrected. I mean, they're crazy, you know, but, but these folks, I think they're a threat to the empire. Now, listen, as that nonsense is going on, because the reality is they were not a threat, but how would you know that? Well, so someone begins to spew that nonsense. They're a threat. They're looking to overthrow the government, so on and so forth. Okay, but they willingly submit to the governing authorities. I mean, that's all we keep. That's what we see. In fact, these folks submit better than the folks that supposedly worship the emperor. These folks, these folks live in such a way that it demonstrates their whole life as a life of submission to authority. I don't know, I, you may say these things, but they don't make any sense. Because I look and I see these are submissive folks. They're just living their lives in peace. They're not... Tyrannical. They're not looking to rebel and, and take over. They're just living their day in and out, and they do it in a way that we have to say is pleasant. Seeking to live at peace with all men and obeying our many laws. You see? So the accusations then appear Groundless. And the mouths of those who oppose Christianity are effectively silenced. Their foolish words end up falling on deaf ears because of the submissive behavior of God's people, even to a pagan government. One writer says, By submitting to government, Christians demonstrate that they are good citizens, not anarchists. Hence, they extinguish the criticisms of those who are ignorant and revile them. He goes on to say that such ignorance is not innocent, but culpable, because it's rooted in the foolishness of unbelievers. And they are foolish because they do not fear the Lord and walk in His ways, and hence their ignorance is culpable, they're responsible for it. Another goes on to say this, good behavior of Christians will minimize slanderous attacks on believers. Opponents will be discovered to be animated by hatred. In other words, you'll, you'll see what they're really about. That assumes that believers don't validate their accusations through their unwillingness to submit to the governing authorities. Onus will be discovered to be animated by hatred, lacking any objective ground for their criticism of believers. So I said all that to say this, to come back a little bit. Think bigger than just your personal uh, benefit or lack of benefit when it comes to submitting to the government. Think bigger, beloved. Think about this. Your submission to it has an impact or can have an impact on the gospel, that is what it said about it, and even on the persecution of the church. If these people did not live in submission to that Roman government and then gave validity to all the foolishness that was being said that they're just a bunch of tyrants because they weren't careful to obey, then that would have given Rome valid reason to crush them. Okay? Now, We know ultimately Rome did come after them. They did. But it was not any fault of theirs. It was not any fault of theirs. So we're thinking bigger. We're saying, listen, I'm here for a short period of time, right? You're thinking bigger. I'm here for a short period of time. I'm an alien that's a passing through. Where am I passing through to? Heaven? kingdom of right i'm I'm headed to that eternal kingdom i'm passing on to heaven i have a short time what am i here for to make the gospel known to not put any barriers in its way to not make that more difficult or to create a situation where it's harder to proclaim the gospel because i am now inviting persecution because of my foolishness because of my lack of obedience think about this with me this is what's unique about christianity Because of the scriptures, because of God's design and plan and what he has said, and his will be in subjection to the governing authorities, Christianity has been allowed to function in every form of government. It has succeeded. In China, communistic, the church grows. In Russia, communistic, the church grows. In tyrannical rules, the church grows. How do you think that is? Do you think it's because they're like, we don't have to listen to you. We have a Lord, and it's not you. We're citizens of another kingdom. We're not even citizens here. We're passing through. We don't have to obey these dumb laws. Where where do you think they would get with that? Huh? The government would crack down. The government would push them out. It would make things much more difficult. But because they're living for God, they say, listen, listen. We submit to him, and as we submit to him, then we basically operate, in a sense, under the radar. We're not drawing unnecessary attention to ourselves. And because we want to be here and stay here as long as we can, we submit, even though some of it might be foolishness, we don't care. We submit, because ultimately it's not about my personal benefit or lack of benefit, or "I obey this traffic law because I don't want to get, get a ticket." No, I obey this traffic law because I want to be known as one who submits to these governing authorities. That way, when the fools begin to rattle their nonsense about the church and the gospel of Christ, people will look around and go, "What are you talking about? These are submissive people. They're no threat to us. And we stay, and we continue to preach the gospel and call people out of darkness and into light through the through the word. You see? Because God has a plan. And then on top of that, we make matters worse because then we don't do this. Cuz somewhere somewhere along the way someone told us, you don't got to submit. Like, you know, you don't have to if you don't like the law, then you don't have to obey it. What? That's not from the Bible. That's not from the Bible. That's from the rebellious spirit that resides in us. So do you see the bigger reason now for submitting to the government? Not just because God said so, certainly, but by doing so, by doing so, I put a muzzle on the mouth of those who are attacking the gospel and the church and our faith. doesn't mean they're going to stop doing it, but in this particular circumstance, we muzzle them. And you see as we go, it's just continuing. Live in such a way that's honorable and godly. Give them no reason to discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. That way when we come to people and we share the gospel, they go, yeah, I, know, I don't know everything about it, but the people are beautiful. A God, they are, there's something wonderful about them. They're, they have a quiet spirit. They're submissive. They, they're, their lives are, are ordered in a, in a good way, even though they may not be able to understand all that, they can see and go, okay, that's good, as opposed to, you want to tell me about Christ or Christianity? Please. My neighbor says he's a Christian. He breaks the law all the time. He cusses. He yells at his wife, I can hear it. He drinks like a sailor. Or maybe it's curses like a sailor, I don't know. But either way, sailors do both, that's what I've heard. Do you see what I'm saying? And then we just we, we rip from under, we just rip out the gospel or we just destroy it. The church needs to repent of their rebellion, of their lack of submission, and not just this area, but in other areas as well. What is it to me if they make a dumb law? So what? And again, I'm not, there are means, we have means to address dumb laws, okay? But while it's still dumb, if that is the case, and that may just be your opinion, that may not even be true, but while it's dumb, submit to it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. The very end here, 1 Peter 2, because this is not my home, I'm not living for this place anyway, Huh? So they fix that law? So what? There'll be another dumb one that comes along shortly after it, I'm sure. And I don't, even, I don't even mean to demean the law because much of the law is good and wholesome and wonderful and thank God for it. But we tend to focus on the, the one or couple that we really hate. Finally, in 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God. And he closes with, he ends with this, honor the emperor. So he, he begins with honor and he ends with honor. And again, there's been a lot, these are each, you could go to each one and we could talk about each one, what it means in the command here. But I'm, I'm going to suggest this, that this is what Peter is intending possibly, okay, by closing it out this way. You ever use... Uh, those if-then formulas in Excel. So the idea is if this verse equals this, then this, th- I'm sorry, verse. I got to change thought. Uh, if this cell equals this, then if you see this, then then this over here in this cell. It's an if-then. I think it's kind of an if-then here. Okay? In this sense. In order to honor the emperor, well, you have to honor Everyone. You must love the brotherhood because you're honoring the emperor because of your love for the brotherhood, your love for the church, and you must fear God who has commanded you to submit to the ruling authorities. In fact, if you're not, let me reverse it, if you're not honoring the emperor, then don't tell me you honor everyone because everyone includes the emperor. And don't tell me you love the brotherhood. Because by not honoring the emperor, you invite persecution upon the church. And you destroy the gospel that we're trying to proclaim. And don't tell me you fear God. For God has made it clear in His word that you are to submit. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And yes, that means. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Help us to trust it, to believe it, to trust it, to abide by it, to come under it, to submit to it. Father, your way is good and right, and you have a plan, and we need to get in line with it to the degree that our lives are not in line with your plan, because that's the one that matters, may we repent, Father, and may we begin to, to behave in such a way, to think in such a way that aligns with your word and therefore honors you and ultimately advances Jesus Christ in this lost world pray your power, Father, to to do that through your spirit, trusting in him. And Father, I also ask for your forgiveness where we have failed in so many ways. Forgive us of our rebellious spirits that continually seem to rise up in our hearts and, and want to say no to the authorities that are over us. I ask your blessing on us, your church. In Christ's name, amen.